Welcome to Hope Ahead, where we share stories of help and hope from people facing addiction and mental health challenges right here in our community. And I'm your host, Caleb Klusmeyer, along with Amy Singleton. When I look at so Welcome to Hope Ahead. My name is Caleb Klusmeyer. I'm here with Amy Singleton and also Ashley Mangus. Hey, hey. Hi. Ashley, do you want to go ahead and introduce yourself? Sure. Uh, My name is Ashley Mangus, and I am an outreach worker for Oxford House in Central Oklahoma, and I am also uh, in the recovery community. I have a sobriety date of October 15th, 2019. For those who don't know, tell us what Oxford House is. Okay. So Oxford House is recovery housing for individuals that struggle with alcoholism and or drug addiction and are looking to stop and stay stopped. (laughs) Yeah. Stay stopped. That's the goal. Yes, ma'am. So obviously, since you're kind of in this recovery field substance abuse and mental health field i'm assuming there's something that kind of led you to this and that's kind of what we want to get into is yes we want to talk about the resources that oxford house offers and kind of the benefits that being a part of an oxford house can offer but i really want to hear your personal story okay absolutely um so unique thing about Oxford House is you cannot be hired unless you need their services. So, <laughs> nice. so um, I moved into an Oxford House uh, on February 7th, 2020 in Oklahoma City. Um, but uh, rewind a little bit from that. And I was in active alcoholism and addiction Uh, from age 13 to 33, so um, a solid 20 years of selfishly doing everything I wanted and um, under the influence. And, um, you know, it's definitely, it's progressive. You know, if, if if I look back, I could say that the majority of my 20s, I was just a big old party girl because I did manage to graduate college. I have purchased homes, owned vehicles, had a lake house at one point, you know, paid my taxes. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was a big old drunk that also liked substances, you know, whatever was going to uh, give me a head change to do whatever I wanted and 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 have no accountability for it because I usually didn't remember. <laughs> I mean, if I didn't remember, I didn't do it. You can't you can't hold me accountable right. to that evening because I have no recollection of it. You know, so there were years and years of that. Um, I met the father of my children uh, when I was a teenager and um, was with him from nineteen to thirty three. Oh dang! So yeah, so there's. Um, our um, journey in addiction was together, very progressive, you know, from 
from drinking and a lot of marijuana use in our in our teen years to a heavy cocaine use. I definitely went to rehab. I definitely needed rehab. <laughs> I was I was just, I was a mess. I was a thirteen co- is a very young age to have started that, and we've heard that more and more with many of the clients that the Virtue Center is serving through our our partnerships with the local schools. Can you speak a little bit to that and kind of what you feel like really led you into that life at such an early age? Sure. So um, I'm from an extremely large family. Um, My mom, uh, my mom's family are are immigrants from Mexico. Um, My dad is a a white boy from Texas. (laughs) 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 But, um, you know, I, I, I can't sit and say that, that I had a terrible childhood because that's just not the fact. But mm-hmm. it was full of a lot of children and full of a lot of moving and going and hustle and bustle and, and um, things of that nature. Um, my mother and father were married very young. My mother is a normie. <laughs> um, Do you want to explain to people who might not know what that means? So my mom has never used um, a, a drink or a drug. I mean that she's admitted. You know yeah. what I mean? Um, my mom might have smoked a cigarette in high school, but the the very interesting thing to me is that um, my father um, ended up a heroin addict, and my father was a big partier in in school. Now, of course, I wasn't in the world yet, so I don't know what that attraction or dynamic was. But they were married very young and divorced by the time I was two. Oh, wow. Um, and then I ended up with uh, grandma. So so the person I consider probably mom the most is grandma and grandpa. And um, I was, look, I know I was a lot, like as a kid, <laughs> you know, and, and it's it's funny to me that I feel like I've been irritable, discontent my whole life. I'm very type A. I like things the way I like them. I like them organized. I'm very neat and clean. So, you know, I can remember early on my mom being like, I don't know why you have to be so willful and dramatic. <laughs> you know, why are you so willful, girl? Um, Where do you fall in the age range of all those children? I'm right many? in the middle right in of the middle. six. Okay. Yes. Okay. So, so so when you went to live with grandma and grandpa, was it just you or did you go with some siblings? So older older brother and sister were there periodically, mm-hmm. but I would like ping pong back and forth. Start misbehaving with mom, Yeah. go back to grandma. Uh-huh. Mm. So went back to mom, um, oh, 13, 13, and... I just got in my mind, like, I wanted to do what I wanted to do, but I needed to figure out a way to do the way I wanted to do. So I actually really excelled in school mm-hmm. and sports okay. and extracurriculars. Yeah. So the facade is being created at a young age, and, and but yet, you know, jumping out the window at night and running around and sneaking. Jekyll and Hyde. Yeah. yeah. Like, yeah. It would, there, were, there were signs that I'd end up in AA. There, the signs were there. I didn't know them. But, um, you know, I um, I had a high school boyfriend, and he graduated before me, and, and I was like, well, you just can't leave. <laughs> so I, I decided to graduate a year early. Oh, wow. That was the motivation. Now, of course, my family thought, oh, she's just trying to um, – it's probably one of the biggest regrets of my life. I graduated at 16, and I was far, far, far too young to be 
because I, I went to UTSA in San Antonio, Texas, mm. oh, far, wow. far too young to be girl in a big city, mm-hmm. you know. Um, I did okay at UTSA. I did okay. It was like, did good this semester, academic probation the next. I was drinking and partying, you know. Mm. Um, and then my mom was like, you need to move back to Corpus Christi, where, where my whole family lives. So so I did that, you know. Um but there was just, you know, for a, for a long time, there was just a lot of life would start to get a little rough with the drinking and the drugging. And then I'd be like, oh, get it together. Put it down. Get it together. Excel at work. And, and I would do that for a while. Right. You know, whether it be six months, a year, um, I would just kind of rein it in. I'd be able to rein it in. Right. When I stopped being able to rein it in, it was a when meth came into the picture mm. for me, mm-hmm. you know. So how old were you whenever meth did come into that picture? About 24. About 24. And um, it was so different than cocaine use, you know. Like you would you would, you would, would go out and, and use a lot of cocaine and then the sunlight was the enemy. The mm-hmm. sun came out and you were like, God, why are they mowing the yard? What's happening in the world? Just shut all the blinds. You know what I mean? I like lived in an apartment and the people were mowing and I'm like, I'm going to die. You know? Uh, and then when I found methamphetamine, it took all that away and I could roam around the world at any time I wanted. And it, it didn't affect that for me. Um, me being an overachiever, me being must get all the check boxes checked. I was like, this is a miracle drug. This is this is amazing. Um it did not stay amazing for long, you know. <laughs> um when you don't eat or sleep or drink any water. Um so I'm even hearing and it's interesting <clears throat> this is again been brought to my attention by uh, someone that I look up to in recovery. We were talking about something and one of the things he said is from an early age, you were taught that um, this substance is doing something for me. And just from you talking about, you know, the meth use, and it was doing something for you. It allowed yeah. you to do something. And I think it's really interesting. And for people who don't understand substance abuse or mental health <clears throat> or just addiction in general specifically, um, uh it's like, why do you keep doing this thing whenever it's, you know, um, destroying your life? But what they don't get is it's doing something for you. And, um, you know, it's it, at one point in time, it was very useful. It was a solution. Right. It was a solution. Right. And at some point, I'm assuming that solution stopped being as much of a solution. Well, I think that, you know... Early on, and, and, you know, again, I'm, I'm in my early 20s. I have no kids. Right. Um, I worked in, um, so I have a degree in environmental health and safety, so I worked in the oil and gas. Um, so I was making more money than I knew what to do with. So there was a, there was a this is fun aspect, but but I think it, it, it evolved, at least for me, into a daily bargaining conversations in my head yeah i can do this much to get this much done but oh my goodness i did too much again and now i'm gonna have to counter this with some alcohol so it you know 
the level of, the level of stress was just you know just like a wave but but the but the thought when the thought gets into your head that that if i didn't have that that's when that's when the thoughts get really scary like oh what does this mean like right. I, I can't not do this today well i'm not even going to think about that you know mm-hmm. um and then before we know it it's it's over with you know we're 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 suddenly doing things hanging out with seedier people we never thought we would hang out with. And now we're the seedy people, you know? Like, it's just, it's such a, it's such an insidious, yes, uh, progressive. Um, and, and by the times, for me anyways, that, that I started to think, like, maybe this is an issue. It was beyond, you know, it was beyond too late, you know? Mm-hmm. So. So talk about, if you would, a little bit about, what helped you realize that was an issue and where are we at in the, I guess the timeline, wherever that started to happen. Okay. So, you know, up until, and like, and like I said, my, my partner at the time, my, my children's father, it was very, you know, very progressive for both of us. But, but when we both really fully got into methamphetamine use, um, our like and our care for each other was gone. Yeah. You know, it got uh, it very the the physical and abusive aspect of our relationship really, really, really took a turn for the worst. And um, that was about 2014. We actually had split up. We were living um, we were living in Corpus Christi. Um, we broke up, but we still hung out, and I'm just gonna say that, you know what I mean. And um, you know, out of nowhere, I'm I'm pregnant with mm-hmm. my with my first child, uh, my son Theron, and um, I instantly quit everything from one day to the next, cigarettes included, wow. and that really, 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 I, I I now know I didn't know then, but looking back retrospectively, that flipped a switch in my brain, like. Oh, you were just a party girl. Mm. You you quit everything for your child. Mm-hmm. You're fine. Yeah, you, you don't know? actually have a problem. You can choose. I did, you yeah. know, and and I, you know, I was about seven weeks pregnant when I found out I was pregnant with my son, and I just went to sleep for a week and woke up, and then I was just like, okay, now we do baby. You know, we're yeah. on to the next <laughs> phase, and um, unfortunately, their father never sobered up. You know, mm. so. Um, I now know through the times of being pregnant with my children are only 18 months apart. I have a daughter and a son. Um, that entire time was not using, but was dry, untreated yeah. alcohol. Not using, but not sober. And just <laughs> waving fingers at their father. How dare you? How dare you? You mm-hmm. know, I'm better than you. Um, so again, continued toxicity. Um now, I, I Olivia was probably, it's my daughter, she's probably just over a year, so that would make, you know, Theron, my son, two and a half, and, and I, I clearly remember the day. We were living in Edmond. Their father was constantly working out of town. Um, 
and I knew there was meth in the house. Mm-hmm. And I bargained with myself that day. I had laundry to do. I had errands to run. I had to do this. I had to do that. And if I just did a little bit, I'd get all the work done, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and that's what I did. And about 2 p.m., I'd bargained with myself all day, you know. And I did. And And from that day, fast forward three months, I was probably... I strung out is when I found out I was pregnant with my son. And wow. and, and that was like, oh, my God. Oh Happened my, really quick again. Like, oh, my God. You Zero know? to 100 real fast. And we talk, you know, we talk about it all the time in, in the recovery community. And uh, when people, you know, and I don't consider that a relapse because I had no program of recovery of mm-hmm. any kind. But but I did pick up again. And, um, and you know, it, it's... It's hard, and I and I share this all the time. I, I wish my children were the reason that I that I made the decision to get sober, but they weren't. You mm-hmm. know, the fact of the matter is, my children got in the way of the way I wanted to drinking use at that time. Oh yeah, you know, and that's I've had it taken a lot of work in my program of recovery to process that level of guilt and shame. Mm-hmm. You know, but I, I think it's important to share with women. Mm-hmm. Especially because I think a lot of women feel that way, but are scared to say that. Who want? Who wants oh, yeah. to say that? Mm-hmm. You know, when I was drinking at my heaviest, my ex husband and sister came to my home and looked at me depressed on the couch, drunker than anybody's ever been, and said, "You aren't caring for you, so you're not caring for them, and we're going to take them for a little while." And I felt nothing. Mm-hmm. I, if anything, I felt a, a little bit of relief, like you said. Yeah. Yeah, like that, that's real depression. <laughs> you know, like so at that time, like I chose to leave the house that we shared in Edmond with her with their father. I called their grandmother, and mm-hmm. she came up to visit and stayed, and I just left. Just you know, mm-hmm. and new in recovery, you know, I just it's his fault, and he's the reason I let. That's not yeah. the truth. <laughs> Everyone else, <laughs> I've come to you know, I've come to accept my part in that um, now. The living situation was by no means healthy. You know, it was pretty toxic arguments and and all that and all that stuff. We we definitely didn't need to be around each other, but it was me, you know. Um, and I proceeded to live in Oklahoma City, and I started picking up charges, DUI, DUID, um, obstructing an officer, all all the things that are very common with. Um, they go hand in hand with addiction to methamphetamine. Mm-hmm. Um, at the end, I, I got to a point. I got I got in this really crazy loop in and out of Oklahoma County Jail. Like I'd go in. That's exciting. Oh, God. what a fun place! <laughs> I'd go in. I'd go in. You know, get get fill up. I'd go out and get picked up on another warrant. You know, but like a year and a half of that. Mm-hmm. And at the end, I was grateful I was there, and I was like, "This is this is weird. Why, you know, <laughs> why are you happy to be here? Something's wrong with you." But I was tired of what was happening out there. You know, it was just getting too much. It's like a break. Yeah, yeah. it's too cold out there. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so I I just really started. You know, what is it possible to be sober? What do I do? You know. Um, and my aha moment 
a sitting and holding, waiting to go. I knew I was going upstairs. Like I got to a point where, <laughs> where I knew I was getting dressed out. It's fine. I'm going to take a nap on the bench, you know. Yep. Um, and the, <laughs> you know, like there, there's no chance I'm just going to be in holding. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Where's my orange outfit? <laughs> it's funny now, but um, this girl's trying to get through on the phone, and I'm getting really irritated, you know. And I'm like, God, no, no one's answering, girl. You know, I'm thinking to myself and. She finally gets through, and um, she'd been crying, but she stopped, and she said, uh, Mama, um, I'm in jail again. I don't want you to get me out. I'm just calling to wish you happy Mother's Day, and I'm sorry for the daughter I am. Mm. I had no clue it was Mother's Day, and I just I sat up, was stone-cold sober, you know, it's it's such, the most sobering comment I've ever heard. It just it rifled through my body, you know. And for the first time in my life, I was angry at me. Wow. Hearing someone else say. Yeah, like you're, you're so out of it mm-hmm. and arrested for the umpteenth time. You're happy to be here so you can go lay down, you know. And, and it's Mother's Day and you have no clue and you haven't seen your own kids in about eight months. You haven't talked to your own mother in about two years. Like it just the gravity of her statement just literally just. Yeah. And, wow. I, was, and I was mad at me. And, and in that instant realized you are the common denominator and the problem <laughs> in, the, in this whole story yeah. of yours. You're the reason. There's a theme here. It's you. Yeah, it's me. It was just so... Thank you, Taylor Swift. Hi, it's me. <laughs> yeah. I'm the problem. It's me. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that is a very... Even most, people who aren't in, in addiction <clears throat> don't really understand how difficult that is for us to truly realize. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, I, I yeah, I'd been hit by a Mack truck, and then I got incre- increasingly angry with myself because I'm like, look, Ashley... You're from a really good home. They set you up for success. You chose to go mm-hmm. do the things you did, you know, and, and it goes back to, you know, like um, I work the program of Alcoholics Anonymous, like utterly just selfish, self-centered, entitled, and bratty. Yeah. You know, like, you know, if I, if I would have died the next day, that should have been on my headstone, you know, <laughs> entitled, bratty, deserve to do whatever, I, you know, and... Um, and so I, I sat, I sat in, I sat in jail that time and, and, and I really started to dream about what a life in I didn't know the term recovery. I didn't know the term sober living. I didn't know any of those terms, but no more alcohol or drugs. What does that even look like? Yeah. Right. You know, what what does that even look like? I think that's there's a couple of things that I kinda wanna touch on is like you were talking about the ability to be honest with yourself about your kids mm-hmm. and how hard that is for, you know, moms or just parents in general. You know, I've had to do that with with my own son. You know, I was <laughs> a shit dad mm-hmm. for the first <laughs> five years of his life, mm-hmm. and I was high as hell. Mm-hmm. And um, just having to be honest with myself that I wasn't showing up, <laughs> like, at all. Um, and, you know, how hard that is as a parent to admit that um, is powerful. And that's some of the stuff that we have to look at in recovery and being honest with ourselves um, to grow. Um, but one thing, you know, another thing that really stuck out 
is um good grief i just drew a blank um oh you were talking about how you didn't even know what it looked like in recovery and it's interesting because and i think that's what a lot of people from the outside looking in who don't understand addiction is we've had this going back to the solution this thing that we're using um, as a solution and you rip that you know you use it for everything and anything mm-hmm. and you rip that away or even the thought of ripping that away from us is like well what do I do now what do I put my hands you know I have no mm-hmm. idea how to deal with these feelings and emotions and what do I do with all this time during the day and <laughs> like how do I how am I gonna how am I going to like work? You know what I mean? I can't get high and like, you know, do this or that, or how can I enjoy this movie? You know, or how can I, how can I sleep? You know? (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) That's absolutely it. You know, and like, so like today, you know, I'll touch on, I'll touch on my kids a little, they still live in South Texas. Um, but I'm very active in their lives as I, I speak to them several times a week. Um, uh, anything they need financially, you know, I provide, um, and I do visit them several several times a year. Um, and I had to be, I had to be honest with myself when I got into recovery. Um, you know, very. I, I want my kids back. They need me. Mm-hmm. And someone very early on, and and again, another another God thing. Your kids need you to stay sober. Yeah. Your kids need you to stay sober forever. And you've got a whole three months sober, and you've got 20 years of active addiction history. Those kids don't need you right now. And, I mean, I did. I felt like someone had kicked me in the gut when they yeah. said that. But it's what I needed to hear, you know. It really is. Because then it was further explained to me that if you don't, fix all the broken parts of you, you will go out on those children again and they will reach an age where they will form their own opinions of you. That's right. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So so when I got sober, my my kids were, let's see, 2019, uh, two and a half and, and, and five, you know? Mm-hmm. So, so I'm just mommy, you know? Yeah. And um, the mommy they know today is shows up and is committed to them. And another great thing that recovery's given me is that I did not have before is patience. <laughs> like I, I accept my kids exactly where they're at in their life and and where I wasn't that parent before, you know. I just so controlling of the mess, the stuff, the don't do that, don't you know, and, and now they're kids, like, you know, so recovery's done that for me, uh, most definitely. Um, you know, so I look at it as a living amends to my children, a daily living amends to my children. Because just like you were saying, like, even when I was there when they were little, there was no present me. Mm-hmm. And that and that thought is always like, I could be over there doing that. And I need to go do that soon, you know. And But I've, you know. So it was, um, it was stressful. It was definitely stressful. So you made... You kind of had the realization and made the decision sitting and holding 
or at least the the initial concept of that initial, decision. But yeah. but what did that look like from that date to maybe your first meeting or? Who helped lead you into that recovery? I definitely got arrested a couple more times. <laughs> always on, um, I always point out to people, I'm like, not on new charges. Like, they were uh-huh. all warrants. Like, yeah. I, you know, when I was running around, it, you know, oh, Oklahoma City is stressful. Let's go to Midwest City. Oh, this is stressful. Let's go to Dell City. Maybe Nakoma Park's better. You know what I mean? <laughs> Edmond, you know? So yeah. I've got warrants just sprinkled everywhere in the mm-hmm. metro um thankfully enough never cleveland county but <laughs> but um I, I just i didn't make it this far south you know <laughs> norman um so what what i did do is I, I did i made the decision to go to rehab last time i was in jail was september 2019 um went back up to edmund where um kids st- uh kids father and kids are at you know and I, I just show up one day with the goal of convincing him he needs to take my kids to texas mm-hmm. that was the only goal because he again he's never stopped doing what he's doing you know in regards to his addiction and you know sadly that is still his story today mm-hmm. but um and he agreed and he did and and i'm forever grateful for that and um I did. I did tell him a, a, a tall tale. I said, we're going to move to Texas together, all of us. Me, you, kids, your new girlfriend, whoever, let's go. <laughs> Take the kids first. And he did. And um, when he got back, the next day I jumped on an airplane and went to California to treatment for 103 days. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, did not have the guts to tell him bye. I didn't even, you know... But 15 years with someone, whether it's good or bad, is a long, long time. It's a lot of history. Right. So, I, you know, I don't know if I would have left, if I would have been like, okay, bye, I'm going to rehab. Right. You know? So I just left and um, went to South Coast Behavioral Health in um, Newport News, California. First good decision I'd made in however long, you know. Um, they took us to a couple meetings out there. Um but but the thing I liked most about about treatment is is I got to understand why I behave the way I behave, mm. you know, um, because my behaviors under the influence and what I would later learn my behaviors even after I got rid of alcohol and drugs they weren't good. Yeah, you know, um, I was inconsiderate. I did not know how to talk to people. Definitely didn't care what your opinion was. You know. Um, just rude but I got I got to process a lot of that stuff um I got to talk to family members I hadn't talked to in a long time with a therapist present you know Mm -hmm. um all my siblings I did a visit with a family phone visit with all of my siblings and and I'm very grateful that they were willing to do that um my mom would not talk to me yet and that's okay um we figured that out later but um but I, you know, the alcoholic in me wanted to just blow over this state completely and go get my kids in Texas. You know, mm-hmm. that's that's what my brain, the first thought told me. Um, and thankfully, I had therapists that were like, no, um, you need to go p- handle your legal wreckage. You've got a lot of legal stuff in Oklahoma. So 
after treatment, I came back to Oklahoma. Um, I did a phone interview with an Oxford house, and they accepted me, and I moved in February 7th, 2020. So wow. came back to Oklahoma knowing nobody, like knew, knew bad people out there, but was yeah. <laughs> having nothing to do with them, just brand new and, and newly sober. And, you know, it's like we were saying, you know, I've done a lot of things in my life, you know, but had no clue that there was a, a whole, what I call like a, a very cool, unique subculture of a recovery community. I had no clue, you know. Yeah, it was very eye-opening to me. So, <clears throat> I'm assuming that's this that that started your journey into where you're at, basically now. Oh, absolutely, yeah. So, do you want to tell us a little bit about Oxford House? Sure. Um, so, I think like a lot of people, I had stigma about how am I going to reside with seven other women in a house. And how is that going to work? Mm-hmm. You know, you know, I had all this preconceived notion of this is going to be terrible, and no one's going to like me, and I'm definitely not going to like them. You know? right, right. These are these are all my, um, but but in in my case, the lawyer that I that I had was like, Oxford House is your last shot. I cannot mm-hmm. promise that that judge is not going to make you come back to Oklahoma County Jail, but let's try. Let's try to go. Hey, she she decided to go into sober living. Let's see. And and thankfully, yes, the judge was like, okay, we'll we'll see. Because um, I was I was looking at going to prison, so um, it had to work for me. I yeah. did, I had to figure it out. Um, so it was you know, it's a very humbling feeling doing a phone interview from treatment, and and strangers are asking you questions. But um, I don't know if I'll ever ha- be able to adequately express or show gratitude for the feeling I got when when seven strangers accepted me based off very, very few questions they were asking me, you know. And then, you know, they picked me up from the airport and and I got to the house and um, sat down and and explained to me what Oxford House was. And they said, um, we're democratically ran. And I said, okay. And they said, that means we vote on everything. There's no manager here that gets paid. We pay all the bills. We pay the rent to the landlord. We vote to accept members. We vote to expel members. And then they explained to me if I was ever disruptive, if I ever returned to drinking or using, or if I ever got too far behind on my equal expenditure to the house, that I could be expelled. And I was like, okay, you know. Um, and what I what I came to realize living in Oxford House is it's for me it was the missing piece I needed I mean those first girls showed me how to be a friend I learned Mm -hmm. how to be a mother again Um, I learned how to how to be accountable to to my actions you know and they were like you will go to meetings Mm -hmm. this is the one we go to you don't have a car right now so now this is the one you go to (laughs) you know what I mean yeah Um, they, they were they were I'm so grateful I ended up in that house. They were real serious with me, you know. They were, and they'd tell me all the time. They'd be like, do you want to go to prison? I'm like, no, no, <laughs> no. No, we don't want to go to Mabel Bassett. No, yeah, no. you know. Um, and, and it, you know, it's just we've got so many ideas. Like, here, here's the thing. Here's a big st- stigma-busting thing for me. So many people who are alcoholics or drug addicts are super smart. 
they're creative, they're workaholics, you know, but, but, but our ideas are what, and our will get us in trouble, you know. So I had a lot of ideas early on, and they were like, "Listen, Oxford House has been around since 1975. We do we do things this way for a reason." And I'm like, "We know what we're doing here." Okay, you know. So, so there was definitely that in the beginning. Um, the legal stuff I had to do it was a lot the first couple months, but when it kind of leveled out, and I got a handle on it. Um, I uh, I just started getting involved. Oxford House became my service work. You know, mm-hmm. a new house would open, or one would be struggling with members. So you know, I would I would move in. Um, I'm g- very grateful early on that I had a sponsor that number one said, if there's an opportunity for you not to be selfish and to be of service, raise your hand. Yeah. Because um, because she told me she's like you're selfish. She's like, and you think you're something special too. So, and you're not. You're not unique. <laughs> you're not different. You know. Yeah. We uh, all think we're the only ones going through the thing at the time, right? Yes, and it's <laughs> so much worse than yours. Yeah, yeah. No one on the planet could possibly understand what I've been through. Right. 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 <laughs> or what I've done. Yeah. So we have, um, you know, we're just growing and growing. There's 3,500 houses right now in the country for Oxford House. We have 137 in the state of Oklahoma. Wow. Yeah. And what is your role with the company? So I am an, a field outreach worker for Central Oklahoma. So that means that I open new Oxford houses and I teach, train, and guide the current members that reside in Oxford House. And and a big reason why I, I absolutely wanted to come and speak today is because I love the relationship that the Virtue Center and and uh, Central Oklahoma Mental Health have with the majority of the members that live here in Norman. Most mm-hmm. of the members have services here. So, you know, actually ran into two of them at Walmart, and they were like, <laughs> what? You're going to the Virtue Center? I was like, yes, I'm so excited. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so um, I just, you know, I love what y'all do here, and I love what y'all do for them, you know? So I think it's important. Thank you. Um we really are trying to just do the best we can with community partnerships because it's not, we're all in this together. You know, it's not just, you know, the Virtue Center trying to make a difference and we can make the biggest impact together. Mm-hmm. So um, I really appreciate that. And likewise, we refer people to you guys all the time mm-hmm. and let's see if we can get you into Oxford, you know, so... So we always end our episode with what is your hope ahead? Um, I mean, honestly, just to keep it real simple, that, that I always remain grounded, guided, and grateful, and that, and that I never forget what it was like, you know, um, and that I, you know, I love helping as many people in recovery as I can, but but especially women. You know, I, I try to be a very a very good steward and live my life. So many women go through so many things on top of their substance abuse issues, and that's okay. And we can find a truth and an acceptance in that. You know, but but I think it's very important for women to understand that like you can stand on the firmest foundation that you built yourself Mm -hmm. and and make your life as beautiful as you want 
if you ever want to add to that equation, you can. But if you don't want to do that either, that's okay too. You know, so um, right. so so that that's my biggest advocacy is 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 women understanding that that because um, there's not a lot of us in the recovery community, not not as much. You know, so once they get here, them being able to wrap wrap their head around the fact that they can do this, you know, so so I really um, it's important for me to. To, to continue on that path for them, you know, to be that voice. Love that. Ashley, thank you so much for coming on and talking with us. Thank you yes, so much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Hope Ahead, where we share stories of help and hope for those facing addiction and mental health challenges right here in our community. You can find more information about the Virtue Center by visiting www.thevirtuecenter.org or we're on Instagram and Facebook. It's so sad.